as I said, guys, understanding that the sexual urge is God's way of saying to us to love as He wants us to love. And so, what is sexual what is sexual desire for? To be the very power to love as God loves. And so it's going to come in two predominant ways. The physical and the psychological. You can see the problems with just limiting it to the physical. Sensuality or just the physical by itself is not love. It may become its opposite use. Body becomes an object, reduces the person to good looks in their body. And so when we reduce this, we forget who we are. And so as I said to you very early on, what is my identity? I'm a child of God. doesn't mean just a body. And this is the problem with pornography. We have to be very aware of it. We limit the person to just their body, and we don't even know the person. She here? Awesome. Hi. I'm just going to finish this up. Okay. So, we have that going on. One of the best examples of that is this. There's a dude in New York City. This page I have a decent one. Who's an incredible chocolate sculptor. Okay? And he can take a look at you. So we'll use Maddie. He can look at her just as she is right now. Right. He can sculpt her perfectly by looking at her once. Done. He can do it with six or seven of you. He can do it with you, leaning against, just leaning against the table. Okay, if I was like, he could do it. So when you walk in and you see these, some people understand it as, okay, I walk in and I see these masterpieces of someone's creation. But other people come in and look at it with a different understanding of the human person and say, I want to devour this. I want to gobble it all up. I just want it for my own selfish desires. I mean, how many of us don't love chocolate? And we want to eat it and we want to consume it, and we want to take it on. And it's there to satiate something. And so we're kind of using it to satiate a hunger. And that's how it can be with the body. And so this example of we miss the true beauty of God's creation when we limit our attraction to just simply being physical. So we can become enslaved to everything that stimulates our sensual desire. You go to sentimentality, now we're looking at the femininity and masculinity of another person emotionally attracted to the way a woman carries herself, to the way a man presents himself, how they present themselves to the person of the opposite sex. Some of you don't even know, or haven't even talked to a girl, boys, man across campus, and just the way they carry themselves, you're like, oh my gosh, she, she's very attractive. You never even said a word to her. I remember it. Opposite too girls to the guys. We can begin to think there's somebody that they're not even remotely close to being just by looking at them. It's incredible what you can experience in that. So a woman's feminine charm, a gentleman's masculine strength. This is all part of sentimentality, in which case we're attracted to somebody of the opposite sex. Now this can, there's no question, this can lead to selfless love. And I'm telling you, it starts out here, guys. Like I told you, love is attraction. You see them as a good, but I hope you can see them as a good, right? Not just a person, not just a, or not just a body, but a person. It starts out like this. It can move to this. It can lead to selfless love, but we can become enslaved to our emotions. We have to be very careful of this. As I stated earlier, we get so caught up in how we feel. It's a problem, right? Because it then has to move to an act of the will. But love should integrate our emotions, right? With my wife, it can't be sterile. We need to have emotions involved with it, right? So if it's just this sterile act of love and there's no emotions tied in, there's no affective. That's not human because there's no human formation happening. And so I have to be able to integrate the emotions into the act of virtuous love too. It should keep two people together even if they are physically apart. All right? should keep two people together even if they're physically apart. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, everybody should go through that a little bit, right? And then the, where, we can st where we can screw things up is this is Hollywood, The Bachelor, etc. We can be and fall in love with what we think they are and the idea of being in love 
and what the emotion gives us of thinking we're in love. And so, dangers we forget about the truth of the person. Okay? Now, this is kind of what I did with Tamara. I forgot about the truth of, the re of, of her not being Catholic. I clouded it with a lot of emotion and tried to pretend it wasn't there. And in the end, it was there and it was staring me in the face. And I needed to accept it. I needed to accept it. And so, we forget about the truth of the person. We tend to idealize the value of the person all out of proportion. You guys, I was completely doing this. I was going to leave the Catholic faith for her. I was going to leave behind the truths of the 2,000-year-old church of which I was baptized into for her, for feelings. And who was it that got the train back on the track? My brother, who said, use your darn head and think for a minute what it is that you're saying and willing to do. And so I was doing this very much, okay? And then using each other for emotional pleasure. Disillusionment. I've seen people on college campuses, they actually have this idea that I love you, I, I think I'm gonna love you, I'm very attracted to you, and they think that, that who they're dealing with is like Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. They get together and they come to actually know who the other person is, and they lived on this disillusionment for so long that when they actually get to know who they are, they break up and no one can see it coming. They're like, everything seems so good. And they had this disillusionment of who the other person really was because they never actually took the time to get to know the truth of the person. And when they did, they're like, we don't even, it's not even close. And then don't write this down. But this is what happens. So you have subjective and objective love. This is the last slide. Subjective is the psychological situation, the feelings I experience. This is sentimentality. It's a spontaneous reaction to sexual values based on the attraction of a person's body, the emotional attraction of someone's femininity, masculinity, and it develops very quickly. This is what I had with her the first time I ever saw her. And it was just like boom, 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 there it is, don't even know her. It was that fast, okay? And it should be that fast, but the problem is, is we can't limit it to that. And what should it be moving to? It should be moving to what our church says sexuality is for, to be the very power to love as God loves. What kind of love as Father has taught you? The love where you desire the good of another. It's that virtuous relationship. So objective love, so again, there's that word objective. So I can play off of subjective, subjective truth. I can also play off of objective love, objective truth. It really is reality as it is. It's an interpersonal fact. It's the relationship in reality. She's not Catholic. I am. This is very hard. We have to work through this. This is going to be a cross to bear. But this is what I'm willing to do, and I'm going to fight for it. Okay? A union of persons based on a virtuous friendship. It's a pursuit of a common good, seeking what's best for the other. Self-giving love, total commitment, and sense of responsibility for the other person. In the end, it develops over time. And it requires much effort and grace to cultivate it. And so, if you're willing to do it, it can happen. Even you guys, in the midst of, students, in the midst of not being the same denomination. Okay? Some people might have said, we're just going to be done. And we worked it out. Come on up. Let's do this. Take your coat off. Stay a while. We've got some time. So, they know everything about you already. Hi. Hi, I'm Tamara. I've been sober for 15 years. It's like an AA meeting. So here's, here's what I gave them, honey. So they got you. They got this. They got a lot of stories about this kid. So go ahead. You can read the first one. Uh, there's a lot of questions on it. The differences between courting and dating. Okay. So I would say dating is more getting to know somebody. Courting is when, and so you, as you get to know somebody, you're coming to understand who they are, but you're sort of still kind of scraping the surface. Whereas courting is this repetitive, exclusive relationship in which you have now 
determined that this is somebody you really truly desire to marry. And so you were willing then to commit your time to just be with them exclusively. And so from there, you really are moving into an engagement. And I think, and you're involving your friends more, you're involving your family more. There's these principles of courtship where you really are entering into this discerning towards marriage. Where I don't think you should ever skip dating. Right? Because think about it like this. Let's say, raise your hand if you're a senior in college. Raise your hand if you're seniors. Okay, so what happens? You're a senior, you're moving out, and now a young freshman girl comes in that's pretty hot. And you're ready to get married because in your stage of the game, you're ready to move on. She's like, ah, I just got here. Kind of want to date. You see how you can't skip dating. So they have to, I think, through the natural course of events and sequence of things, mesh into each other. So I think it goes pretty much friendship, which I think is what we had it built on. Friendship, you date, you get to know each other. It then moves into an exclusive relationship, and then you discern whether or not you want to be engaged. You get engaged, and you can even discern there if you want to stay, you know, get married. It's not like when the ring's on the finger for her that it's over. You can always say no if something ain't right. You're not free. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. Now, I mean, I know I've said that word, that word feel. You've got to be careful of it. But I will also say that... You cannot be in a sterile relationship either, all right? So feeling is important when it comes to, is my heart in this? So it's not like you throw feelings completely out the window, all right? You got to feel, otherwise it's sterile. But you shouldn't be sacrificing the moral good as a result of your feeling. Okay, go ahead. Beautiful. I think you date, and if you can't ever see yourself marrying that person, quit there. Don't go to courting and develop all these feelings, and then it's hard to break up when you know they're probably not a good person to marry. Right. Cut it off. But I, my only thing is, is that I don't say that dating, I'm not the guy that says the purpose of dating is to get married. I do believe that the ultimate purpose of dating is to get married, but I also believe, you got to remember, I teach ninth graders in high school. I know they're going to date, and they have no business getting married. So I say it's to get to know, it's to get to know somebody and to learn how to love. And then that will mesh in with this exclusivity. And essentially, Tamara's right. Once you get into that, I don't think you even make it. You're not marriage material. It's just not going to happen. Let's just take the Band-Aid off. If you're going through a dilemma about living together, one person wants to more than the other, and they know it isn't right, can the person who wants to justify it, you got to read this. Um, can the person who wants to justify it uh, isn't right say it and not disappoint the other the other person knows it isn't right but they're convicted it can help further the relationship what do you do you say we're not going to live with each other you guys the person who's thinking that they're going to further the relationship by living together is stupid there's an 80% chance of divorce by living together it's 50% outright right now. Just by you getting married to somebody, you have 50% chance of getting divorced. And so you want to add to that. You really think it's right. It, it, talk to the psychologists. Talk to the ones that are legit. And you will find that it is not setting you up for a successful marriage. This whole trial run, 80% of America is cohabitating. How is it working? What's the divorce rate? It's actually above 50 now. It's 55. It doesn't work. So, I mean, does it work seldomly? Yes, it does. There's a chance. There's a sliver it's going to work. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't want to chance, I don't want to chance the faithfulness of my marriage. I don't. It's forever. It's like saying to a priest, do a couple things at the front end of your time at seminary that's going to affect your priesthood and make it not as effective. Why would a priest want to do that? Think through that for a second. You've got to have the courage. Like I said, there's some things you've got to close your mind to. Close your mind to that. Be strong. Work through it. It's all in the presentation and get after it. I was going to say, uh, yeah, word it. If, if you're a male and you're going to tell this to a female, you could word it a little bit. It's all in the presentation. Yeah. I'm just here to inspire Honey, courage. I love you. I want what's best for us. I want our marriage to last. Yes. So I don't want to live together and jeopardize that or something like that. Very Send good. your flowers. Very yeah. good, honey. <laughs> Very good. That's why I keep you. 
Uh, we balance each other out. How are you called to the vocation of marriage? And I'll start by saying I guess I never even considered anything else. I'm sure stemming from the fact that I wasn't Catholic growing up, so I surely didn't consider becoming a nun. But uh, I've always been into kids. I always babysat growing up and just knew I wanted a family. Yes. How about you, Reese? Um, I would say, I would say that at that time that I was actually even remotely thinking and discerning to go into the seminary, I was a fifth-year senior by the time Monsignor Tom Richter had gotten to me as the director of vocations. And so he sat down with me one time. I was dating her. I was a year into dating her. And then all of a sudden I was on his radar, and then he decides, let's sit down. And I even wanted to sit down with him. And I needed more than anything, I needed him to talk to me reasonably. And there was no consolation in it at all. I had consolation. I think, didn't Monsignor Tom talk a little bit about consolation, desolation with the sin and spirits? As you pray through some things, consolation came over me a lot as I thought through and prayed through being with her. And there was no sense of consolation by joining the seminary as a fifth-year senior and, and, and graduating and moving on. And it just didn't seem right. And as she said, when I experienced, when I thought through being a father and being a dad and, and having a wife and, and, and experiencing this family love, I just had this overwhelming sense of peace and, and consolation to be there to guard my heart. And so I think you look for that, those, those, those experiences of peace and, in your life, and you get some direction with it, you know? So I don't know, hopefully that helps. The next question is, did you have sex before marriage? Wanted to. We did not. But wanted to. We did not have sex before marriage. But wanted to. But wanted to, yes. We had to set boundaries. <laughs> I did have sex, though, before marriage. Not with Reed, but um, with other people, obviously. Um, and it was a terrible mistake that I've gone to confession for. And uh, Reed's had to forgive me, and I've had to forgive myself. But uh, yeah, there's definitely regrets there, and that can come into your marriage, too. So please don't learn from my mistake. When you talk about the uh, when you talk about the future with someone that you've been dating for a while, what should you ultimately talk about? Go ahead, you can start it off. And I mean, I think we can probably formulate dating in courting together. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning stages, like your first date, you ain't gonna be like, so, what, what, what do you think about marriage? So, I just think talk about future goals so that you're kind of on the same page um, where you might want to live, how your families are going to be involved in the relationship, kids. Um, using NFP is a big one to talk about. You don't want your husband or wife pushing the pill on you. Um, what else? I always said to the marriage and family students the five Fs. Number one, how is your friendship? So you have to be thinking about that, talking about that. How is it realistically? Look at the objective reality of it. Number two, what do your friends and family say? Number three, where do you wanna be financially? How, how does that measure up? Can you provide? You should be talking about these things. Where do you wanna end up? What do you wanna do? You wanna be a pharmacist, I wanna be a teacher. What's that gonna look like? This is when it gets quite serious, okay? Your faith, what does your faith have to say about this? Are your faiths meshing? And then family size, you know? Do you want one kid, and as Tamara said, does the other one want five or six? And so as you get serious about these things, those five Fs I think are things that are, are good parameters to be talking through, and then you're not just scraping the surface of superficiality, you're actually getting into the nuts and bolts of what, where do we want this to go? And then based on those answers that you're getting, I think that can determine your outcome. If you're not liking the faith, I mean, that's your first and foremost. If you're not solid in your faith together, that's got to be a discussion point. It needs to be there until it gets figured out. Being of the same faith is huge. Utmost importance. It was very difficult when we were. Another thing is, um, ladies, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, that'd be one thing to talk about. My mom was a working mom, so I didn't really consider that I'd want to be home with my kids. 
But uh, knowing what I know now, I'd love to be home with my kids, but I went to grad school and racked up some student loans, so now I'm working to pay off those so I can be home with the kids. But that's one thing to consider. You want to be a stay-at-home mom. Maybe your goals financially and as far as education goes could be a little different based on that. We sit down with, thank you, that was great. We sit down with couples that are getting married at Cathedral because we're Cathedral parishioners. We talk through them on their focus test. It's like a 150 point test that you take to see how compatible you are. Every couple we sit down with, it seems like the, 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 the female, the woman thinks she's got to work. Or she wants to go on to grad school and she hasn't even put it, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. She hasn't even thought through, what's that going to be like when I have that first child and my maternal desires kick in? What is that going to feel like, look like, uh, all of these things? She would rather stay home with the kids and go to work. Um, and now, as she said, we're in that position where we need her to work so that we can pay off our debt that we accrued together. And so we have a little bit more financial freedom down the road to do good things with our money. But it is what it is, and it's a trial that we'll get through. Just like... Um, I mean, any type of health trial or whatever. Um, the next one. In what ways does practicing NFP bring you closer together as a couple? I'll start. Go ahead. I um, really enjoy the fact that Reed doesn't want me to take something to manipulate my body so that we can have sex whenever he wants to. Um, it doesn't make you feel used. You feel like, I mean, you're both in it together, obviously, but... I have plenty of friends and my sister who's on the pill and then her husband just expects it whenever he wants it. She's like an object now. Whereas we, when we're going to, we have to talk about it. Okay, do we, we want a kid? Should we wait? And then there's times we have to practice self-control, which is always good for both of us. Which is very hard. <clears throat> which is very hard because if you want to avoid pregnancy, the time that it's hardest to avoid pregnancy, because Guys always want sex. Most, I mean, most, you know, rational, normal, healthy guys. And then <clears throat> when she's most fertile is when her libido is the highest. And yet, if we're trying to avoid, then we need to say no to it. So you can see how this could become very hard in the natural course of how physiologically the bodies work. And so, uh, with, with the pill, your libido is always low. I mean, the three effects of the pill is a low libido, moodiness, and increased weight. So, yeah, sign me up for that. Right, girls? Uh, one thing it also does is makes you, I guess, more prayerful as a couple because you're always sort of discerning what God wants from you. And then the pharmacist in me is going to talk about how terrible the pill is because I refuse to dispense it. Uh, it's a group one carcinogen, just like asbestos is to lung cancer. It's terrible for you. I could go on and on about the research and how bad it is for you and how it increases your risk of breast cancer, how when you're on the pill and then you get pregnant and have this baby, it's risk of colitis and Crohn's disease is higher. I mean, I could just go on and on. It's absolutely terrible for you. So even if you don't want to not take it, you know, for faith reasons, take it because of your health, you know. And then blood clots is another big time issue. People say, oh, it only happens if you're a smoker over 30. That's not the case. When I was doing a rotation at St. A's when I was a fourth year pharmacy student, there was a 21-year-old girl, she didn't smoke, and she came in because she had a blood clot and it traveled to her lungs and she threw a pulmonary embolism and she nearly died. And she was in St. A's for two months rehabbing. So it's, I mean, it's the truth, it happens. Now, here's what I always told the seniors. Here's your, under, here's your next step. If you think you need to be on a pill for therapeutic reasons, it could be ovarian cysts, polycystic ovaries, terrible cramping, acne, you name it, I've heard it from any high school girl there is. The next step that I've always said is you talk to Dr. Laura Archuleta, and depending on what it is that you think, because most of the time a young lady goes to the doctor and the doctor says, get on the pill. And it's the only really serious thing that takes a body that's working properly and makes it work improper. It's saying that your fertility is a disease in a certain sense. Okay, that's if, that's if you want to use it to have sex. Let's say it is a therapeutic issue. She's going to then look at what it is that you need based on what it is you're experiencing, girls. And if she needs to give you the natural hormone of, of estrogen or progesterone or an estrogen-progesterone mix, she'll do that based on what it is that you need. 
so that we can then go about it, not from a contraceptive understanding, but from a natural hormonal way of treating something that you need to get to the underlying problem with. Yeah. Putting you on the pill for some of those issues is like putting a band-aid over the problem. Exactly. Dr. Archuleta is very good at getting to the root cause and fixing that. And I always brought her into the students so that they could hear that, so they could hear someone smart like her say, this is what you do. So if you need that, you talk to Father Waltz or you talk to me or her, and we can help you with that. What is your advice for a dating couple who is struggling staying pure? My biggest advice is don't put yourself in a bad situation. Like when we were dating and before we got married, we could not lay next to each other and like watch a movie or something. We, we just couldn't. Yeah, I mean it gets harder and harder as your as your engagement. That's why I say don't go any longer than a year engagement. It's just stupid. I mean you're hanging out together all the time, and so why do you want to put that? Why do you want to put that unneeded time on yourselves? to try to avoid the near occasion of sin. It's just hard enough. But we never stayed, we never stayed at each other's house. There's the one time where that drunk guy wanted to be down your door, thought it was your, his house and it was yours. And I came to your rescue at two in the morning and that dude was cuffed. And then that night I think I let you stay with me on my couch and I stayed at my bed. I just knew it wasn't something we were gonna get into. I was not gonna let it happen and we didn't do it. But I let it, I let that and she followed. And she believed in it, you know, so. What would you say to someone who compromised their chastity but wants to gain it back? Well, I would say, first of all, go to confession, for sure. And then second of all, well, you got to forgive yourself, however that needs to happen. Praying a lot, praying the rosary, you know, things like that. But confession, first and foremost, is what helped me. Your first thing is to get right with God, neighbor, and church through the sacrament of confession. And then my wife is right on. You, you have to forgive yourself because nobody loves you more than God. It's love never changes for you. So you've you, you, you got to forgive yourself because God's already forgiven you through the sacrament. It's done. And so now you just got to move on. You can't sit and dwell on that because that's not of God. And you have to love yourself. And just remember, I mean, but here's the thing. When we sin, it's like, we're, it's, it's like a record. We're, 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 we're putting those grooves in our soul just like a record has and when we go to confession, it doesn't all of a sudden take away the grooves or these remnants of sin. It takes time. And you have to work through that through prayer. You have to work through that coupled with the sacraments that the church gives through virtuous actions. It doesn't just happen. So you've got to remember, as long as it takes you to get in great shape, I mean, think about how long it takes you to get there. It, it, it doesn't just happen where your soul is right where you want it to be. So be easy on yourselves. And be honest with the person you're going to marry. Don't try to hide anything from them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go into details. That doesn't help anybody. But just be honest about yep. the past. What's your favorite part about being married? You go first. My favorite part is uh, children rescue love from boredom. You saw what you watched those boys just beat the hell out of Father Waltz. He loved every minute of it. We loved every minute of it. And those boys just love being boys. The human formation part of the family, of just that, the, the, the social structure of the family. It's not perfect, our family isn't perfect, it's messy. It's good, it's bad. There's joyful times, there's sorrowful times. It's very similar to the Christian life. And then how do you, how do you allow this to happen, to function, to work? The challenge of it is a phenomenal thing to me. It's not easy, but I, I just love the fact that I've started a family with this woman, and we now have the challenge of bringing each other and these children to heaven. That's the ultimate goal in life. Um, wouldn't trade it in for a second, ever. The whole dynamic of the family life is incredible. My favorite part of um, marriage, yeah, is just doing stuff as a family without phones or TVs or anything like that. Just going to a park and playing tag or chasing them around. Moments like that it's where glorious. you're in the moment playing. It doesn't happen often, but it's... We don't have a TV in our living room. We have a TV downstairs. But I'll tell you what, we feel the tug of this digital media world where our boys, she just got an iPod for Christmas, and we had to give up video games on uh, for Lent. Because, I mean, these kids just want to sit on it. They just want to sit on it. And it would be the easy thing to do as a parent. It would just be easy. But it's not what they need. It's not what they need. They need human direction. They need human formation. The average... 
teenager right now texts 40,000 texts a month. Did you know that? I just heard that statistic today. And my kids would be right in on that. Students at St. Mary's are. I won't let them have their phones out unless it's for a lesson. You're looking me in the eye and we're going to sit and we're going to talk. We're going to be together. How did your parents end up reacting when you converted to Catholicism? Why did you wait two years to be in full communion with the church? Oh, two years into your marriage. Well, that's a good question. Um, Discuss that one. Well, I waited because I, uh, I wasn't convicted, I guess, until then. Uh, it all started, I suppose you could say, in pharmacy school, learning about the pill. And in my Protestant church going up, like my pastor's wife was on the pill, everyone just was. It's, no one batted an eye at it. And then I knew we, I knew we were going to do NFP, and so... Can I just say, in no fault of their own, because that's all they knew to do. Right, yeah. So, they're great people. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, I was in pharmacy school learning about the pill, and I, you know, learning about the mechanisms, you start to think, well, maybe it does cause abortions and, and things like that. So that's the first time I thought to myself, well, oh, maybe the Catholic Church is right about something. And then after that, um, I was more open. And then I read Scott Hahn's book, The Lamb's Supper. It's about the Eucharist. It's wonderful. Um, and then that's when I realized the Eucharist is the true presence of Christ. And so then I knew I wanted to be Catholic. Uh, you know the mechanisms of the pill, right? Prevents implantation. Uh, dries up cervical mucus. Dries up cervical mucus. Prevents ovulation. Dries up circular cervical mucus, and then prevents implantation. The third one, brain's fried. I know. Third how one is an abortifacient. <laughs> how did your parents end up reacting? Well, I was afraid to tell them. Did you tell them this? No. Well, yeah, I didn't want to tell them. Because um, they're not just like any Protestants. They, my grandpa founded the church in Rapid, the E-Free Church, and my parents founded the church in my hometown. So this was a big deal. Um, so I didn't tell him till what, two years later? Yeah, you didn't tell him. And I didn't tell him where he did. I was scared to death, you guys. I never, like, disappointed my parents in my life, and then this was going to be a big one. Yeah. So I, I kept praying for strength, and every time we'd be around him, I'd, I'm like, I'm going to do it this time. <laughs> Read students kept saying, did you tell your parents yet? <laughs> no, did your wife tell her parents yet that she's Catholic? So I kept like, praying for strength, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> Every time they came to town, I'd be like, hurry, put Mary in the closet. <laughs> Mom and Dad don't want to look at We did hide the crucifix. <laughs> we didn't have anything out that was Catholic. And I mean, I'm trying to tell. Hey, I'm putting myself in their shoes. My son, he's dating a girl that's not Catholic. How's that going over for me? Trying to walk a mile in Mom and Dad's shoes here. And so. Anyways, we finally told him, and I think they handled Yes, they did. Tell them what um, We were going to move down to Nebraska, and I thought, if we're going to Nebraska so you can head up this home infusion department, they're going to know our family dynamic before we go down. So we had said yes to a job, so I called them and said, Tamara has been searching for truth. And a long story short, I said, in the midst of her beautiful gift of faith, this search for truth has led her to the Catholic Church. And so I, I just want to thank you for the foundation of faith that you provided your daughter because it's uh, unparalleled. And they're like, well, we know you guys love Jesus Christ, and that's the key. So as long as your family is rooted in that, Godspeed kind of a deal. So I was like, wow. It says a lot about her father and mother. Uh, if a potential significant other is completely closed off to any kind of organized religion, is a relationship even worth pursuing if you are Catholic? How long have you tried to say, how long have you had, tried to have these discussions with them? I think if they're completely closed off, yes, it's not worth pursuing a relationship. But not after the first discussion. Oh, no. Give them how a, many discussions have you had? Give them a, a little time, but I mean, I'm not saying... If they're not a Christian, then I for sure don't think you should ever even consider getting married. That's biblical, right, honey? It's Catholic. It's disparity of cult as an impediment to marriage unless they decide that they want to move into the religion of Christianity. Here's the thing. Like, I have coworkers whose husbands don't go to church, and they're not really interested in it. 
And it may be fine when you're in this honeymoon phase all in love, but as that wears off, it gets to be a serious burden when my coworker is waking her kids up and taking them to mass by herself and her husband's laying in bed. I mean, it's a it joke. It is. That's it's a burden on my coworkers. Girls, you're not changing a dude. You can think, you know, missionary date. I'm. I've got a. I'm gonna change him. What? You gotta wake up and use your head. God gave you a head. God gave you an intellect. And and if and if you've been beating your head against the brick wall of I'm changing him for a year and a half, two years, and there's nothing happening, consider this divine providence tonight, and have that conversation. And just say, if you're not opening up to faith, and you're not going to lead this house like St. Joseph should lead a, ch lead a house, I'm not getting my kids up for church every Sunday. That's your job to lead the church, to lead the, the family, and I will follow suit. But you better man up and, and decide that this is important to you because we're going to have a family someday. That's, that's one of your major responsibilities, dude. Show them a picture of a family. Well, the other thing is if you have... You know, sons or daughters, they're going to look up to their, you know, dad or mom. And that's going to make them pretty unmotivated, don't you think, yes. to go to church? Yes. Like, I look at my sons, and I want them to lead their wives if they have them and their children. And re-leading us is a great example. And I think puts them on a good path to And your that. boy, your, whether you like it or not, the boys, they're, more, they're a little bit more intimidated by dad. And when dad says, we're going to mass, they see two things. I'm a little scared of him, and I'm not real sure what he's going to do. And number two, that's my dad. And my dad's going to Mass. That must be important. Huh. Somewhere, that, somewhere they're going to remember that. You guys remember, I got one year with my grandma. What'd she do? Told me to go where? You know what I got from my dad? Work your ass off. I mean, whatever you do, work. And there's good in that. But you, you'll remember what your parents teach you sooner or later. I know you have. This one's kind of like the last one. What about missionary dating? When dating someone of a different religion and desiring them to be Catholic, is there a point which it could be called missionary dating? If so, how do you prevent this? Prevent this by, for sure, finding someone of the same, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever. Denomination. Date someone the same denomination. That's the way to fix it. Easy. A huge headache. I mean, look at it. It it worked. You can do it. It's another hurdle to jump over. It's another cross to bear. It's already hard <coughs> enough. All right, marriage is difficult. I've got to live with her for the rest of my life, and I've got to figure out how to love her. We've got to keep this family united. It's just one more thing that you're not united on. Can you make it happen? We're proof. You can. But it, it took a lot of suffering to get there. I mean, we broke up and we're never going to probably get together again until I had, an, I mean, I have an incredible woman here who is at least docile to the promptings of grace to unlock the door of her heart to search for truth. If you are in a relationship with someone who is baptized Catholic but doesn't live out their faith as they should, how can you help them practice their faith better? That's a good question. Um, ask them to go to Mass. Lead them in a rosary. I don't know. What do you think, Reed? Uh, I totally think... Go to uh, confession together. Yeah, that's not going to work, huh? Okay. They haven't been practicing their faith. The last thing that they want is confession. You have to be a good example to them. You have to love now, if they need confession, encourage it. But you have to love them, and you have to show them that you are a joyful person by the faith that you're plugging into. And if you can show them that joy, and that you, you, you enjoy your faith, and that you love it, and that you're passionate about it, they're going to want some of that. Would you agree? And that's what Pope Francis is all about right now. He's knowing how to hit this up right. Make the faith attractive. 
And once it's attractive and they want it, now you can start talking about these deeper things. Okay? But your example is key in this, and then you can't be afraid to bring up some of these things as you're living that out. And then I, Tamara's right, as it works out, then pray your rosary together and go to confession. But they'll see that you're doing these things slowly but surely. They'll see your rosary hanging in your mirror, or they'll see you have a rosary and you're, what are you doing with that? Well, they know you're praying it. Well, the biggest way you can help them is just by living it. Yes. Living it. You don't have to say anything, just live it. Exactly. Uh, how much time do you have? Yeah, we got some time. Okay. Is there anything in this journey that you would redo? No. I would. I wouldn't go to get my doctorate so I could be a stay-at-home mom. You probably already realized that. I would still have you do that. Uh. You're my sugar mama. <laughs> <laughs> you said you struggled to be a Lutheran because you were raised Catholic. Do you think if you were raised Lutheran or any other denomination that you would have found the truth in the Catholic Church? I sorry, I was still thinking about the sugar mama. I completely spaced out. Did you read it again? I'm dead serious. Uh, I think I would have only because I've always been, uh, even when I was in the Protestant faith, I was always kind of searching for something more, or I guess the truth. Here's how I look at it with her uh, and me. Go to the cave analogy. Okay, you're out, you're down in the cave, and you're looking for light. Have you ever heard this one? Okay, and you have the old, you're looking for light, you have the old headgear on for light. And you're like, oh, I see some light. Awesome. Okay. But then, if you're looking for light, and you come out of the cave, and it's completely bright outside, you see the fullness of light. And so what you were going for is light. Now, fill in the blank and put truth in there. Tamara was on a mission for truth. So was I. For me, why would I leave the fullness of light, truth, and go to some of it when I had the fullness? It doesn't make sense. For me. For her, I don't think if it, it mattered if she would have been Lutheran, uh, Missouri Synod, Old Apostolic, Evangelical Free. She was docile to what truth was. And I don't think she was going to stop until she found it. I just remember some things started bothering me about my church. Um, and I love my church. I love it. But, uh, for example, if there was an argument, uh, two people in the church would argue about what a scripture verse means or something like that, they would go talk to the pastor. But if they didn't agree, there was no catechism to go off of. And there was no one higher up. There was no bishops or anything like that. It was the Bible and the pastor. And if they couldn't come to an agreement, well, then this guy would just split off and start having a different church. You know, and they just kept splitting off. There was no sort of higher power or anything That's, uh, I'm just to ground them back together. Enjoying what but you're saying. Anyways, just little things like that start bothering me. And that's why I think I would have found the Catholic Church eventually. And that's why the bishops in union with the Pope, the Magisterium, which is the living, breathing, teaching office of the Church, whose task is to authentically interpret sacred scripture and segregation, is so nice to have as a Catholic. Is it more healthy in a relationship for one person who is Lutheran to convert to Catholicism for the sacrament of marriage, or get married as separate religions and work through your differences together? Go ahead, honey. Well, I don't know. I don't... Lutheran to convert to Catholicism for marriage? Is it more healthy in relationship for one person who is Lutheran to convert to Catholicism for the sacrament of marriage? It's good to convert for the marriage, but if you don't believe it. You, this, is all, this, is all, this is a little bit situational because it all depends upon where you're at in your understanding of the faith that you want to become a part of. I, now, there's a couple ways to look at this. Is it right to convert to the Catholic faith because the person that you're marrying is Catholic and you love them. Wrong. My granny Vaughn was Catholic. My granny, my grandpa Kenneth Raber wasn't. He wanted her awfully bad. She said, 
if you want to marry me, become Catholic. He became Catholic. Now, I think he understood enough about the Catholic faith to know this is the direction that I want to go. But I mean, they weren't together very long. Now, this is back a long time ago. This isn't today. But he then enrolled into RCIA and hadn't completely yet finished them, put, put a ring on her finger. And I, I very well think it can work. But I, I, it's, it's difficult when it's the other way. I caution you, because like I said with the analogy, you're, you're, you're leaving one thing that is full, and you're going to something that's not quite there. That's a problem. No, but she said if you're leaving a I know, but I'm still saying I caution you there. Um, and, and again, I do think it's situational that you might not be ready to do that yet. She wasn't, and we waited. I think I would have been bitter. I do. If I would have converted just for me and didn't believe it, I would have been bitter. I agree. And I think the best thing that could have ever happened was me stepping back yeah. and getting the heck out of the way and just being there as a resource and a guide for you when you needed me. But Praying like crazy. Maybe please. other people would be perfectly happy to that, then it might be good. Yeah, my, my grandfather was. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He was... From the female perspective, what challenges were you feeling while you guys were trying to figure out your religious beliefs together? Ooh, I can't handle that one. Oh, I also, a lot of times we'd just fight and I'd cry. It was kind of a mess. Uh, but uh, feelings, I was frustrated, <laughs> heart broke lots. I don't know. We'd just get into it a lot about stuff and fight a lot. But Her heart was broke a lot because she couldn't receive the Eucharist. Yeah. I remember going through that a lot. And that's why you wanted to receive early, too, because you wanted to feel in communion. There was no communion and unity there. Right. Well, when you go to a Protestant church, I mean, everyone's welcome. Come on up. That's uh, hard. What advice would you give someone who knows their significant other is better than them and might deserve better? Um, Just become better for them, I think. Be, become the best person you can be. Why do you, you know, I would put the ball in your court and say, why do you think they're better than you? What makes you think they're so much better than you? Uh, I mean, I, I guess if there's these objective qualities like I treat people like crap, I don't have a faith, I don't go to mass, you know, that's, then crank it up a notch. Why do you want to suck? You know what I mean? But if it's this, if it's this idea of like, I'm just never going to measure up. You don't have enough confidence right now. I mean, if it's, I'm never going to measure up and it's this and it's that, you know, I don't think you've got a healthy understanding of who you are. You don't understand who you are, that you're loved by God, that you're a child of God, um, that you can be great if you just simply put it together. But if you're feeling like that over and over and over again, you, you need to tell them that. And then your significant other needs to reinforce that you're wonderful. You're great. I love you. I wouldn't be with you. They better not be feeling, making you feel as though you're inadequate. They better not be the one that's putting this in your mind. Because that's unhealthy. And if that's the case, I don't know if that's going to get much better. We went through a phase like this, and I had to wake up and realize that, boys, your words, men, your words, oh, are they important to a woman. When you start talking to a woman, you better, you better understand why you're saying what you're saying. You better understand that when you talk to them about the way they look, their weight, how they look, serious, how they look, their weight, all that stuff, I'm not telling you that you can't be truthful, but you better understand that that stuff is engraved in their minds like pornography is engraved in a man's mind. It is there and it just takes a long time to order that right. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. So don't take your words lightly. How did you know you wanted to marry Reed? Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> look at him. I uh, wasn't going to say look at him. <laughs> um, 
Uh, first of all is faith. I love his faith. Uh, it wasn't mine, but it was a strong faith. And he was virtuous. And um, also he had so many friends and was well-liked and had a lot of good friends. It was easy. And I knew I didn't want to be without him. Uh, did you ever question if your husband was the one you should marry? Was that just directed to you? Yeah. Oh. Why do you want to? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a lot to say about that one. Go ahead. No, no, no. It was it was directed to you. Let's stay on track. Right. Did you ever question if your husband was the one you should marry while you were seriously dating? And what would you tell someone who knows they want to marry someone but sometimes questions it? Well, I think everyone has a few doubts, don't yeah. they? I think that's normal. Definitely. As long as it's nothing serious. But yeah, when we were seriously dating, I questioned it a few times, especially with our denomination thing. Sure I did. I did too. But the problem is, is it, wasn't, it wasn't this feeling of her forcing me into it. I was free when I said I do to her. I was free leading up to the I do's. If you're not free, you're really not... If you don't have the proper capacity to exchange consent with the person you're saying I do to... You're really not free, and it almost becomes an in, you know it almost becomes an invalid marriage. We never experienced this lack of freedom. We just simply had the doubts that comes with an engagement, and then being like, "Wow, this is this is we're here. It's one it's one woman for the rest of my life." I think um, that consolation, desolation, um, that Monsignor Tom taught you can help because um, I'd have doubts sometimes, but I had an overwhelming sense of peace about it too. Like you especially on our wedding day, I had an overwhelming sense of peace. Yes. I think I wasn't nervous or yes. worried at all. Yes, and so did I. Because we were in consolation when we decided to do it. And then I wasn't going to let these stupid thoughts that were from the evil ones springboard me into desolation. You never make a decision when you're in desolation. You never you make a major decision just from stupid thoughts. How do you find balance as a couple between work and kids? <laughs> we don't do it very good sometimes. Right here, right here, guys. <laughs> We're on a date. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. We are. <laughs> the days, we laugh, but... The days we both work are like a gong show. They are like, a gong show. Yeah. Like, seriously, get up at 5.30 in the morning and you rush Work around. out, maybe. Work out, get ready, and then get the kids up and all form them dressed. Lunch is packed, diaper bag packed. Does everyone have their blankets and for nap time? It's like herding cats. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> And then right before you walk out the door, Gianna poops or whatever. Like, then Max, it never fails. He's so slow. Every day before I leave the house, he I all of a sudden decides to change clothes or put on a ninja outfit. I want to punch Every him. Time. So I want to be like, hey, Max, you see that? It's your face. Um, I don't. Anyways, and then, you know, nights aren't much better because you pick them up at 5 and... By the time you get home at 5:30 and cook supper and clean up and baths and bedtime, yeah, it's, it's we put the kid. We start on weekdays. We start the bedtime process at 7:30 every night. By the time we're done with that, we say our prayers. I always have we have to tell a story or we read to them. It's about 8:15, and we have from about that time on to hang, just hang out, talk, whatever, watch well, Netflix. The best thing we did for our work-life balance is cut me down to two days a week. Absolutely. Oh, that's been awesome. So. Uh, how do you balance family life and your faith, also faith in your job? Well, I'll start. Uh, faith in my job can be a little bit tricky with um, ethical issues, such as the pill. Uh, so, I've gotten in a little trouble at work, but. <laughs> She's one of 15 <laughs> pharmacists that won't dispense the pill. The other 14 will, and almost all of them are Catholic. Yeah, That's the world in which we live. So get ready, giddy up. Uh, there is a Bismarck Diocese Physicians Guild, though. And so if you're a pharmacist or physician, you can be on it. And I suppose it's mostly moral support. But we can come together and talk to a priest about ethical issues we're facing at work. And that's helpful. And there's also a 24-hour hot, hotline you can call, ran by Father Tad. So maybe you probably know him. He's an ethicist and a priest. And uh, you can ask him your question. So... That's how I balance my faith at work, is I just refuse to do things that I don't believe in. She's an incredible rock star at work, though. She's mm -hmm. just got this subtle, like, 
way of going about the truth and it's attractive and they know they gotta be careful crossing her. But I mean, when you look at her, you're like, well, she's just this cute little blonde, but she can just bring it. Stop. You can't. But you're um, really gifted at it. Where I would turn somebody away, you actually can bring them in. It's very difficult sometimes when your coworkers are hanging out talking about when their husband's vasectomy is or their Botox party tonight or blah blah blah. Um, sometimes I just don't say a thing because they already know what I believe, and then sometimes you can subtly. Yeah. One time I, my coworkers talked about her husband's vasectomy, and she knew I could hear her, so. I felt like I had to say something because, you know, they were just waiting for me to. So all I said was, so-and-so, uh, aren't you kind of worried about feeling like an object, you know, after your husband gets his vasectomy? Because he's, you know, using you. Sterilized himself, uh, too. So sometimes, if you don't always bring up the Catholic faith, that's kind of nice. But yeah. other... Uh, See what anyways, I mean? You go. Good. Uh, no, how do you balance family life and your faith? I have to get up really early in the morning and pray when it's quiet. And then I, live, I, I teach at a Catholic school. I'm 40 steps from the chapel, girls, you know this. I can go and have noon adoration every day. That's what we have at St. Mary's Central High School. I have very good friends. I have like-minded friends. We can agree to disagree on certain things, but we come back to the major mission of what, who are we and what are we here for. And at the end of the day, I have, to, I have to make time for prayer early morning before everyone's awake and then right before bed. And I just pray the Magnificat. And then I go to Mass every Sunday and I try to hit up an extra one during the week if I can. But that's all I can really pull off right now at this stage of my life. I'm not a daily Mass goer. Um, I, I just I can't make it happen with our family dynamic. And I kind of think... I pray a lot just as I'm rocking Gianna or something like that. Um, I'm praying constantly throughout my day. I mean, when I can, it's there. Yeah. How important is teamwork and marriage, and what sacrifices do you both have to do for each other? It's everything. Teamwork is huge. And communication. And I feel like we're an outstanding team. I do. I feel like I would go to any battle with her. You got it's got it's team it's teamwork though. If you don't have, I don't know how single moms do it. I got all the kudos in the world, and single dads. I mean, that's just you don't even have a chance. <laughs> if it was me, if it was me. I, I was in Omaha was last weekend. and Reed hauled those four kids down to his farm to mass. Yeah. To a benefit dinner all by himself. I would have. I would have just. They didn't have clothes I'd on. I called head the babysitter to go so to mass, and I'd have not left the house. He's like a rock star. Okay, what is one thing about the beauty of marriage um, to a young person that has never had a good example of a holy marriage? My parents were great, but you should talk about this because you didn't have a good example. Biggest thing is they just need to see me, they need to, my boys need to see me loving their mother. If they could see me selflessly loving their mother, being affectionate in the affective, just loving her, expressing that love, treating her with respect, um, screwing up, but saying I'm sorry, that's a family. I mean, and then and then putting, making the main thing the main thing. My faith is the first and foremost thing. If they can see that, guys, um, you know, you have this, that's your most important wedding prep, marriage prep. And don't talk negatively about your spouse in front of your children. No. I don't think you ever should do that. And if I have something where I have to majorly get in her face and yell about, I walk her up to the bedroom, we shut the door, and we get, af we get after the argument right there. And uh, they'll see us argue. But if it's something that I'm hot about, and I know that I might say some things I might regret, the children don't need to see that. They just don't. There's no good that's coming to that. But that, but that they can see, oh, this is, you know, th this is the way to act. I mean, I'm not proud of the fact that I'm going to fly off the handle right there. So, I mean, I'm not. But it has to happen. How do you both work together to develop the moral and spiritual life of your children? Is it difficult at times? Uh, Last question. Well, we pray with them every night. We do like a lot of the 
church prayers that I know that our Father and Hail Mary and glory be. And we each go around and say what we pray for, and then we each go around and say what we're thankful for. And then we just pray to specific saints like the saints that are our patrons. Yep. And then wrap it up. Yep. About 10 minutes. And then go to Mass on Sundays as a family and uh, try to f celebrate these days. Yeah, and I mean, and I think the other stuff is just you correct them as you go and you do the best you can. We haven't been given a blueprint with this whole parenting thing. That's just the way it is. But you correct them as you go. I know what right and wrong are. It's my job to instill that into them. Um, and you do the best you can. So, But there you have it, guys. We're at about 9, 10. And so uh, it was a joy for me to be with you. I hope you got something out of it. Whatever you need of me, you let Father Waltz know and he'll communicate it to you. Uh, my contact info or whatever that whatever you need. So, but thanks you guys. Have a great night. Thank you.